We've seen very clearly, if you, if you look at, at comparisons between individuals who are following a meaty diet, individuals following, say, a pescatarian diet where they're having no meat other than fish, or people following a totally vegan diet, you see this very clear step down that when people get to a vegan diet, their risk of developing this disease is dramatically lower, suggesting that's not genetics, that's just personal choices. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for giving the show a listen this week, or a view, or a download. Wherever it is in the world that you are, we appreciate the fact that you are here. This week, we are going to be saving lives, because we will be tackling a disease that strikes tens of millions of Americans alone. Today, we will be talking about diabetes. The latest numbers show that roughly 10% of all adults in the U.S. have it. And as you'll hear shortly, the true number is even enormously higher. And it's easy really to let your mind go to a dark place with that statistic. It's easy to wonder how in the world we can possibly begin to do anything about it when the problem is that big. But that's the thing with diabetes. It does not have to be that way. So many cases can be prevented simply by changing the way that we eat. And the really amazing thing is that even people who have it can reverse it, get rid of it, cut it out of their lives and become healthier than they could have ever possibly imagined. No more pills, no more injections, just a good, clean bill of health. And, you know, Dr. Neil Barnard, he is an expert on this. For years, he has been studying the effect that diets have on diabetes, both plant-based and the standard American fare that's so high in fat. And he is here today in honor of World Diabetes Day to talk all about this. In fact, he's going to be presenting his four steps to tackling diabetes when he joins me momentarily. Just four simple steps that can dramatically lower your risk of becoming a diabetic. These four steps give you what you need to fight back. And to that end, speaking of fighting back, Mark Ramirez will be joining us today. Do you know Mark's story? He is a former University of Michigan football player who developed diabetes, and that disease had already taken a heavy toll on his family. Some of them have even paid the ultimate price. And when Mark was diagnosed, he did not want to go down that route. But he also thought that because his family had it, it was just his destiny. But that's really not the case at all. Mark figured out that genes are not destiny and that he had the power to change. And so that is exactly what he did. He fully reversed his diabetes by switching to a plant-based diet. And he became so enamored by the results that he now devotes his life to helping others achieve that same success. So Mark, he will be here today to share his story and also some tips to help you fight back. But first up in the exam room is Dr. Neil Barnard. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll, sitting across the table from Dr. Neil Barnard. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Hi there, Chuck. Great to be back. It is an honor to have you back, and this is a very important day and a very important show. This is World Diabetes Day. So many Americans, so many people across the world have diabetes, and the numbers just continue to rise. But as I understand it, Dr. Barnard, we have the power to change that, don't we? We do. And it's really important for people to understand that. I have to say, let me share a quick personal note, if I may. Um, As we might have talked about this, uh, or we might not have, um, I grew up in North Dakota. My dad had grown up in the cattle business, but he left it and went to medical school, and he was the diabetes expert for Eastern North Dakota. And I want to tell you, Chuck, he would get home about 6 o'clock from the clinic, he would set down his bag, and I would never, I never, ever heard him say that anybody with diabetes ever got better. 
And the whole idea at the time was that diabetes was a progressive disease, and once you have it, you'll always have it. And that's really the attitude that many people still have today. So what I'm hoping will come out of today's program is a completely different view, that people who thought there's nothing you can do about this condition, I hope that they will realize there's a lot you can do to improve it and maybe even make it go away. Well, I'm glad that you actually led by talking about your family because Mm -hmm. that is the theme for world diabetes today is family and diabetes. And so many people think that diabetes is this hereditary disease. If your mother, your brother, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles have it, you're destined to have it as well. How much of that is true and how much of that is myth? Well, there are genes that relate to type 2 diabetes and type 1 diabetes as well, and they do run through families. But um, genes are not destiny. In other words, you can have the genes for diabetes, but if you follow a healthy diet, if you exercise, if you're physically active, you may never get that disease. You have a lot of wiggle room. So I really think that although DNA does run in families, so do recipes and food habits and and our cultural view of foods. And if we can break free from some of the things that led diabetes to to emerge in our family members, we can prevent it in ourselves and in our in the next generation as well. Yeah, it's such a huge point is you don't just inherit those genes. You you do inherit those recipes, those lifestyle habits, the dietary habit, you know. So if, if you're brought up and your whole family is eating fried chicken and French fries and things of that nature yeah. and that's what you grow up eating, guess what? Oh, yes. And, and we've seen very clearly, if you, if you look at, at comparisons between individuals who are following a meaty diet, individuals following, say, a pescatarian diet where they're having no meat other than fish, or people following a totally vegan diet, you see this very clear step down that when people get to a vegan diet, their risk of developing this disease is dramatically lower than a person eating either a pescatarian or a typical meaty diet, suggesting that, that that's not genetics, that's just personal choices that people have made. So regardless of whatever hand you have been dealt genetically, you have huge power over this disease. Huge power. And we're going to give you four steps to tackle diabetes coming up in just a little bit. But I wanted to quantify the prevalence of diabetes uh, really quick uh, before we go any further, because we said that this was a big problem, but how large of a problem are we actually talking? Yeah, it's a huge problem. Right now in the United States, about one out of three Americans has either diabetes or prediabetes right now. One out of three. Uh, yeah. Wow. And so it's, it's a huge issue. Uh, what is particularly concerning is that a great many of them have no idea that they have it. It's not until you go to the doctor's office and you say, Gee, I'm tired all the time, um, I'm thirsty all the time, I'm in the bathroom all the time, what's going on? The doctor checks your blood sugar control and discovers you've got diabetes. But many people have that persisting for years before they, they know that they have the diagnosis. Interesting. Uh, you know, it, again, that goes down to dietary habits, I would assume. A lot of these cases, you, you brought up eating this stuff for years, oh, yes. and it just kind of catches yeah, oh, up with you. Oh, the vast majority. Right. Um, and, and in fact, it's not just that people have developed it when they're 40 and they get diagnosed at 45. Um, researchers have looked at teenagers, and I'm talking about people who are young and thin and they don't have diabetes. But if you look inside their bodies, we're starting to see the beginnings of the condition called insulin resistance where their muscle cells and liver cells can't take in sugar out of the blood the way they should be able to. And so their blood sugar is starting to rise. And I'm talking about a a kid of 15, 16 years of age. Wow. And he or she is not going to have diabetes until, you know, 15 years later or something like that. But you could see those changes if you look. Wow. So the seeds are already planted. Um, Right. So to answer your question, it is very, very common. And the antecedents to it are hugely common. Now, let's talk about the cost of this. You say one in three Americans. And so, I mean, that's a that's a large number. The workforce is astronomically large as well. So what is the cost of this? Um, Well, the cost is huge. On an individual basis, you go to the drugstore and the doctor has you on insulin and you fill in your prescription and it's (laughs) expensive. So you say to the pharmacist, wait, 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 Uh, could I please get the generic? And the pharmacist will look you in the eye. And say, there's no generic insulin. Mm. After, after all of these decades that people have been using insulin, it is not generic. It's, you are paying through the nose for this drug. Add it all up. Add up the drugs and the hospitalizations and the ER visits and so forth. In 2017, the cost was $327 billion. With for a B. Bill, yes, billion with a B. $327 wow. billion dollars for just this one disease. 
Now, many people with diabetes also are at risk for cardiovascular problems, kidney problems, all kinds of other things that can add to that. But you're talking about, what's that, about a third of a trillion right. dollars. right. Just in the United States. Right. Um, in China, we're seeing uh, diabetes emerging, uh, be- frankly, because of wealth that is making the diet more pork-heavy than it was before. We're seeing the same thing in India. We're seeing it really worldwide. So the costs are, are astronomical, and these are, are costs that are simply wasted. Um, they should not be happening. And it's costing uh, companies just tons and tons of money in uh, in labor as well. I think I saw something from the American Diabetes Association that said something there was like $90 billion in lost productivity every year just attributed to diabetes. You have people who are in the hospital. They're in the doctor's office. Um, they need to go to the pharmacy and so forth. But there's also huge absenteeism. Right. And another uh, kind of new word – presenteeism. You're at work, but you're just not doing your job right. uh, because you just, you're fatigued, you're tired, um, you're distracted, but you're calling the clinic and da-da-da-da-da-da. So all of those problems are huge. That's all the bad news. The good news is that we can, we can do a lot about that. We can solve these problems to a great degree. I love that. And uh, this is a good time to say that if you have a question that you would like uh, to ask, go ahead and post it in the comment section below. We will do our best before the end of the show to answer as many of them as possible. Moving along, my next question for you is this. What are the three different types of diabetes? We know there's type 1, there's type 2, but there's also something called gestational. What's the difference? Uh, Type 1 used to be called childhood onset diabetes, and that's the, the, the child or young adult uh, in the pancreas the beta cells that make insulin have been killed. The beta cells are dead. And uh, we can talk about what, why that would be. But what that means is that that person has to inject insulin because without it, then the sugar can't get into their muscles. The sugar can't get into the liver. And so they need to inject insulin. Type 2, the pancreas is still making it, still, okay. still making insulin. But the cells of the muscles and the liver are resistant to it. That insulin resistance means that your pancreas makes more and more and more insulin trying to overcome it. But it eventually kind of runs out of gas and can't keep up with it, so the blood sugar rises. And the third form, gestational, that's during pregnancy. Uh, A woman did not have diabetes um, prior to the pregnancy. In the course of the pregnancy, the weight gain and hormonal changes cause this to emerge. And after, after she gives birth, the gestational diabetes goes away. But it's very much like type 2 diabetes, Mm -hmm. and it's also a shot across the bow. It means type 2 diabetes is in your future. And also gestational diabetes will come right back during your next pregnancy. So the treatment is the same, that you want to follow a healthy diet to to stop that diabetes in its tracks. Uh, A lot of people uh, say, well, we can control type 2, but there's not a whole heck of a lot that we can do about type 1. So what causes type 1? Do we know? What can we do to treat it other than insulin? Okay. Uh, with regard to the cause, uh, genes play a role, but it's more of a, um, a vulnerability, that if you have certain genes, you are more vulnerable than someone who may not have those genes. Uh, if you have identical twins, one may have type 1 diabetes, the other doesn't. So it, it's not like blue eyes or brown hair where you have no choice. Um, or, or what I should say, it's, it's not preordained. Right. Um, One of the theories um, that has had quite a lot of traction going back many decades is is dairy protein. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's here's what we know. Something has killed off the beta cells that make insulin. What is that? We know it's antibodies that do it. Antibodies form in response to a foreign protein that enters your body. Usually that's a virus or a bacterium. And so you make antibodies to destroy that. And so antibodies form in response to something And in turn, they kill the insulin-producing cells. Well, what is that something? Um, In 1992, the New England Journal published an interesting article looking at a large group of children newly diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And they showed that they all had antibodies to cow's milk proteins. Hmm. And so what they realized was, okay, you're drinking cow's milk. It's filled with foreign protein. You're reacting to it and then destroying your own cells. Now, the reason I say theory is that there's been um, on-again, off-again efforts to really see what happens if kids aren't exposed to cow's milk. And we do know that if kids are breastfed instead of bottle-fed a dairy formula, um, their risk of diabetes is much lower. Type 1 diabetes is much lower. 
Um, but we don't yet have good data, because frankly nobody's ever done the right study, of where you bring in a large group of kids and you just protect them from any exposure to cow's milk products oh. and see if you can prevent diabetes. Okay. Um, that said, uh, when children or adults have type 1, we actually r- would recommend that people follow a low-fat vegan diet, the same kind of diet that a person has for type 2. And that's because that we find that for some reason their insulin requirements go way down um, in, in a great many cases. They just don't need so much insulin. And secondly, with diabetes, what's going to really do the harm is it, it's damage to the blood vessels, the blood vessels of the heart or, or the eyes or the kidneys. And so you don't want any cholesterol in your diet. You don't, you don't want any animal fat. You want to baby your blood vessels. And so a vegan diet is good we believe, for reducing the risk it will start, and also important for people who have the disease. And we're going to talk about that in just a little bit, because spoiler alert, that is one of the four action items that we we have here. That's one of our four steps to tackle it. Um, So that was type 1 diabetes. But what about type 2? There's this overarching theme and this belief that it comes from candy and donuts and sweets and just sugar in general, and that is how you get type 2 diabetes. Well, it's understandable that people would think that because diabetes means you've got sugar in your blood. So people would say, all right, uh, it came from eating sugar. But that's really not the case. And, in fact, the major diabetes organizations, if you look on their website, they'll have common myths, and they'll say, you know, myth number one is sugar gave me diabetes. And I mean, they, they will all say this, but, but it, it's a pervasive Mm-hmm. It's sort of like where do you get your protein? It's one, it's one, <laughs> one of these things you just can't get away from. Right, right. Um, so does sugar cause diabetes? Um, no. Uh, here's here's the truth. Your muscles actually run on sugar. They run on glucose. That's their number one fuel. You know, when when a person's going to run a marathon, leading up to it, they're carbo loading. They're trying to get glucose into their muscles and into their liver in the form of glycogen. So, so eating carbohydrate. And, and sugar is something that your body should be able to handle. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should be having Coca-Cola and Dr. Pepper and sodas and all this kind of junk. But what I am saying is that carbohydrate-rich foods are the natural fuel for the body. What goes wrong in diabetes is that fat particles, fat from the food you eat, mm-hmm. gets into the muscles. And when it's inside the muscle, it stops insulin sensitivity from being so effective. So the insulin attaches to the surface of the cell, just like a key on a lock, and it cannot open that cell to let the glucose in because all that fat has built up inside it. So at that point, if you have carbohydrates or you have sugar, then you discover, oh, my blood sugar was really high every time I have that. That's simply because the cell is is gummed up with fat. Right. So the answer is to get the fat out of the diet. That gets the fat out of the cell. And then the sugar can come inside. Well, let, let me follow up on that. I'll, I'll tell you a story. So there's somebody close to me uh, in my family right now. Unfortunately, she's in a nursing home. Uh, she's longtime diabetic, recently put on insulin. Right. Now, the food that's being served in this particular facility, um, personally, I would not qualify it as being the healthiest. You know, there's an abundance of white bread. Um, there's an abundance of sugar, um, things like that. Uh, fried foods you know one of the things that she gets served a lot is uh, fried shrimp and fried chicken recently there has been a spike in her blood sugar and here's kind of where i got frustrated and i'm sure that there are some people who are watching right now who have had a similar experience she was told that because her blood sugar went up she can no longer eat a banana she loved to have a banana every single day so my question to you is what effect does natural fruit, the sugar from natural fruit, have in terms of your blood sugar? Um, I, may I say that's a sad story, and frankly, it's pathetic um, that they would tell her she can't have fruit or banana um, because she ought to be able to eat bananas and she ought to be able to tolerate them. Um, where do we start with this? Um, if a person has fat, fatty particles building up in their cells then any carbohydrate they eat will make their blood sugar rise. But the answer is not to avoid those healthy foods. The answer is instead to get the fat out of the cell so that you can process those foods normally. Um, It's sort of like gasoline. You put it in your car. If something is plugging up your fuel inlet and the gasoline can't get in anymore, then it's it's not like you should be, like, not using fuel anymore. You've got to clean it out so you can get the fuel in. Glucose is the natural fuel for your muscles and for your liver and your brain. Um, and so if, if the sugar is building up in the 
blood, with every banana or every piece of bread you eat, your blood sugar is going high, then the answer is not to stop eating bananas. The answer is to get the fat out of your cell. Right. Uh, and, and true or false, doesn't a person's blood sugar rise less? I'm just using layman's terms. Doesn't it rise less when they eat uh, a sugar from a, a whole natural food such as a banana because of the fiber? Your body just breaks it down um, less rapidly? Typically, yes. Um, there is something called the glycemic index, which I know is gonna, we're going to talk about because it's, it's one of my four yeah. steps. Yeah, yeah. But what that means is that certain foods that have the same amount of carbohydrate can be very different in how they affect the blood sugar. Gotcha. All right. So you said the four steps. Uh, let's talk about those. Step okay. step number one, my friend, is eat a plant-based diet. Right. Step number, yes. Get, get the animal products out. And the reason, well, the rationale before people knew the reason um, was that people who don't eat animal products have a lot less type 2 diabetes. Um, and so what we now know is happening is if, there's, if you are on a plant-based diet, there's no animal fat at all. And that means, and, and we've seen it in our research, that you can look inside the muscle and liver cells. And when people take the animal fat out, their, the amount of fat inside their cells starts to diminish. Um, and that's exactly what you want. That means that your insulin sensitivity will start to recover. So plant-based diet is good, and it's, it's good in every other way. I mean, because what you're eating now, instead of spam, you're having broccoli, um, you're having fruit, you're having antioxidants that protect the eyes and the kidneys and the, the heart and the other parts of you. Didn't I see a study somewhere that linked red meat to diabetes prevalence? There have been quite a number of studies actually showing that the more meat people eat, the, the higher their likelihood of developing uh, type 2 diabetes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we kind of touched on this uh, step number two, limiting high-fat foods. Right. And so now we're going beyond just the animal products. And I want to go into foods that have fat packed in, whether it's a donut or a French fry or salad oils or fried foods in general and peanuts and stuff like that. Um, the fat in those things is going to cause the um, fat to build up inside their cells. So I, we, we're going to limit those two. And just out of curiosity, how much more effective is a plant-based diet in controlling diabetes than the guidelines that most patients get? Well, we did in 2003 uh, a research study looking at exactly that question. We were funded by NIH to do it, and it was published. The first results were published in 2006 by the American Diabetes Association, I'm proud to say. And we, the test we use is called hemoglobin A1C. Mm -hmm. It's uh, a measure of your blood sugar control over the preceding three months or so. And what we found was that on what I'm going to call sort of the current conventional diet, which is cut calories, limit carbohydrates, uh, avoid the bad fats, that kind of stuff, uh, the drop in A1C was good. It was about 0 0.4 absolute percentage points, uh, which is sort of like what a drug would do. Uh, then the, a low-fat vegan diet was three times more powerful. Wow. The drop in hemoglobin A1C was 1.2 absolute percentage points. So it was actually slightly more than three times more powerful. So the, the beauty of that is you accomplish that without cutting calories, without limiting carbohydrate. You're eating healthful foods. Um, but it, it freaks people out a little bit to, to think, okay, they've had diabetes for four or five years, and they've been told to limit carbohydrate, and now they're beginning this vegan diet. And in the first few days, because they're eating more carbohydrate while they're still insulin resistant, their blood sugars may rise right. a little bit. Right. That settles down, and um, then they start to fall and fall and fall, and they get much better. Yeah, you know, people do get freaked out. It's a, it's a natural thing. I had a friend. He's been diabetic for many years, too, and he said to me that he would go plant-based except for the fact he was worried about his diabetes. Right. So, you know, got, got some work to do there. So share this show, and uh, let's help make the world a healthier place. Um, actually, on that topic. Another great way to do that is we, we've talked about productivity in the workplace. You know, one of our programs here, Food for Life, we actually have instructors who can go into the office and work with your HR departments yes. and do lunch and learn and, you know, teach people about controlling diabetes and improving their health and, you know, lowering those medical costs and making making the world a healthier place, a more productive place. We have done exactly that. Uh, I think we're probably best known for having done that with GEICO. Yep. Uh, we did two studies with the, the car insurance company. And the second of these studies was in 10 different cities in the United States. So for anybody who's wondering, can you do this in Macon, Georgia, or Dallas, Texas, or Buffalo, New York? The answer is, yeah, you can do it anywhere. Oh, we're all over the place. Foodforlife.org, I believe, is, is the website. If not, PCRM.org, and look for Food for Life. Okay, we've talked about two out of the three items here. 
The third item, we touched on this as well, eat foods low on the glycemic index. Yeah, 1981, David Jenkins at University of Toronto invented the glycemic index. And what they did is they, they brought in volunteers and they fed them white bread. And white bread made their blood sugar spike. And then they feed something like rye bread. And blood sugars just don't rise as much. And then you feed pumpernickel. And it rises even less. So pumpernickel bread is a low GI, low glycemic index food. And what that means is it's got carbohydrate. But it just takes a while for that carbohydrate to kind of percolate into your bloodstream. Whereas with white bread, it just walks right in. Right. And so, so the answer is, you know, step one, vegan. Step two, keep the fats low. But step three is low GI. Um, and the, it, it's just some simple substitutions. So instead of sugar have fruit. Fruit is sweet, but it's more gentle on your blood sugar. Um, instead of um, what is it, dry cereals, especially mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the cereal boxes that have a toy inside. Oh, um, it's, oh yeah. <laughs> if you skip that and instead have the oatmeal or the brand cereal, it's lower GI. Uh, one surprise, spaghetti is low glycemic index. It, it, your regular white pasta? White, white pasta, that's right. Really? Now, it's a funny thing. If you take flour and you make bread out of it, that's high GI. If you make flour into pasta, it's low GI. It's just that bread is airy. It's got air pockets in it from the yeast that caused it to be like a sponge. So you could digest it very easily. Pasta is dense. And no matter how much you chew it, it just digests very slowly. And if your pasta is al dente, Mm -hmm. it's meaning not cooked super long, um, it's quite low GI. But if you got a phone call while it was cooking, and you came back 20 minutes later and it turned into like mush. Now it's GI is like really high. Interesting. Yeah, yeah it's, not, it's not rocket science. It's just a question of how easily, how easily the carbohydrates can be digested. Yeah, not rocket science. That is spaghetti science. And that is fascinating. <laughs> there you go. Uh, the fourth and final one, this is one that you're big on for a multitude of reasons. And that is fiber. How much fiber should we be eating every day? Well, your average person right now in America is getting roughly 15, 16 grams, some a lot less than that. Um, and that's because animal products don't have fiber. But I would aim for 40, about 40 grams a day. Now, that's easy to reach if you love your friend the bean and vegetables and fruits and whole grains. Um, and fiber is good in, in every way. It's, it, it allows your body to let those glucose molecules kind of dribble in slowly so you can handle them. Uh, but it does a lot more than that. It helps control blood cholesterol a bit. It helps control your weight in a big way because fiber effectively has no calories, right. but it fills you up. Right. So it's a good thing. Yeah, I, I think uh, the way Lee Crosby, our wonderful uh, dietitian upstairs, she she refers to fiber kind of as a scrubber. It just goes through there and scrubs out the stuff that you don't want. And so it's yeah. it's it's just a it's a scrubber. That's what it is. Um, okay. So if you have a question, now is the time to post it in the comments section below. Again, we will get to as many as we possibly can. Uh, one more, uh, you just said weight loss was a good thing. And if you adopt a plant-based diet, that almost happens automatically. Yeah, it happens automatically. But uh, let me lay out the, the um, approach to it. Vegan, so you're avoiding all the animal products, but also low in fat. Right. Um, so if you're dribbling the extra virgin olive oil all over your pasta, it's going to be harder for you to lose weight because fat packs in a lot of calories. So that comes to the first question, and this is uh, from Celia Metcalf on Facebook. She says that she has been vegan for three months and has not lost any weight. She feels very discouraged. Please help. So Okay. Well, well first of all, good on you for having, having taken step one. Uh, getting the animal products out of your diet is a great step. And first of all, let's look at what good weight loss is. If you're losing, in our research studies, everybody gets weighed once a week. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be weighed every day or every five minutes, and I know everyone's kind of concerned about it, but do it about once a week. And if you're losing any amount, I don't care if it's point zero 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 one microgram, if that's what you've lost this week, fine. Our goal is to keep it going in the right direction. But a typical weight loss on a healthy vegan diet is maybe between a half a pound and a pound per week. Now that sounds small, but there are 52 weeks in a year. That's right. So if I lose a pound a week, I mean, losing 52 pounds in a year is good, uh, especially since it's more or less a one-way street. But if you're really not losing anything, here's where I would look. I would first make sure that we're following the vegan rule, no animal products. Number two, be really attentive to fats and oils. So that means added oils and oily foods, avocados, nuts, seeds, nut butters. Um, if you really want to power this up, every product that you buy that's um, a processed product, 
like uh, a made in a factory that's got a, a nutrition label on it, like vegan pizza or something like that. Look at the label and throw out all the ones that have more than three grams of fat per serving. Um, and that way your fat content is going to be low and you're going to lose weight very likely. Uh, so that brings us to the next question. This is from Vicky on Instagram. She wants to know, is the saturated fat in coconut oil just as bad as the saturated fat found in animal products? I would avoid it. Um, saturated fats uh, is the bad fat. It raises cholesterol levels. It's also linked to Alzheimer's disease. And so it's in butter. It's in lots of it in cheese. Uh, but it's also in coconut oil and also in palm oil. And those foods, those food products are inserting themselves everywhere. When you read a label, in the past few years, you can't buy a jar of peanut butter without palm oil in it. But they, yes, unfortunately, they do, they do raise cholesterol. MK Strawberry 201 on Instagram. I'm assuming that's not the real name, but MK Strawberry 201. How long does it take for someone to come off metformin? Metformin, for people who are not familiar with it, is a pill. That's typically the first pill that doctors prescribe to a person with type 2 diabetes. It increases your insulin sensitivity. Um, you can come off it right away at, at any point. Um, it's sort of an optional drug, but obviously do this with your, you know, talking with your caregiver. Mm -hmm. Don't just throw your pills in the trash. Um, but because metformin does not tend to cause hypoglycemia, um, you can also stay on it for a really long period of time if you want to. In other words, it's not like insulin, where insulin is powerfully pushing your blood sugar down. And if you're on a healthy vegan diet, you are very likely going to have to reduce your insulin dose because otherwise you get hypoglycemic. Metformin doesn't do that. Um, so uh, beginning the diet, all the four steps that we described, see how your blood sugar starts coming down. And then um, as time goes on, work with your physician or other caregiver, and you can start backing off in your medications when the time is appropriate. Well, let's kind of flip the script and answer a question from a clinician. Melissa writes in, I'm interested in your insight on how you talk with patients with diabetes, having them adopt a plant-based diet. Okay. I have a certain trick that I always use. Um, I take a sheet of paper, like this one, and okay. I, I – okay. I, I just, the, the patient comes in. And they say, all right, uh, I've been trying to avoid carbs. And I said, let me show you something. And I draw a cell like this. I don't know if you can see this cell. Um, so I'll say this is a muscle cell. And the muscle cell is powered by glucose, which are these little molecules. They have to go into the cell. And in order to get in, you need insulin, which is there. And the insulin attaches to a receptor. And that signals these channels to open, open up to to the glucose. Okay. So the reason you got diabetes isn't because you drank a soda or you ate a piece of bread. It's because fatty foods are packing globs of fat into the cell. And all these globs of fat are causing the insulin not to work anymore. And at that point, the patient says, ah, that's why people are using a vegan diet because it doesn't have any animal fat. Exactly right. So uh, for busy clinicians, I ask them to take three minutes draw my diagram, share it with the patient, and say, this is why our goal now is going to be to get the fat out of your cell. So we, we avoid the animal products, we keep the oils low, hand this to the patient, and doctors, write your phone number on, on here, because when the patient's blood sugar comes down, they need to call you. Yeah, hold that up. I'm going to okay. shoot this. We're going to put that out on Instagram for people. Boom. There you go, doctors. Right. Very good. So that's what we talk about. But then um, the, the patient then needs more. So the next step is I always, always, always after we've validated and explained why, you need to give the patient resources. And I always refer to a registered dietitian who could sit down with them and we talk with the dietitian about prescribing a low-fat vegan diet. And then we have classes so the patients can come forever and really kind of get into it because they need a little support for the first couple of weeks. Sure. Question about carbs comes from Hammond. You encourage high-carb foods, but how can I eat oatmeal if it causes my blood sugar to go sky high? Okay. Well, in the first few days when a person is, is following a vegan diet, their blood sugar may rise a little bit, but stick with it. Uh, keep in mind, if you're following a completely vegan diet and you're keeping the oils very, very low, the fats will gradually come out of your cells 
and so your your blood sugar will start to fall. But for the first couple days, you're still pretty insulin resistant. So whatever you're eating, your blood sugar will go up. So you could you can choose the low GI foods, but a little rise in blood sugar for the first few days is is not a, a cause for alarm. We've talked a lot about fat on here, and Celeste is wondering what percent fat should we aim for in our diets? What total percent? Uh, well, if I was a researcher, I would say 10%. But since you're at home and hopefully not calculating things like that, um, you don't have to worry about that figure. Uh, the way that I would encourage a person to simply do it is to not use added oils. So we're all used to pouring the oil in the frying pan and throwing stuff in. Um, if you learn to cook with the non-oil methods, we're steaming our vegetables or roasting them, um, and we're using uh, recipes that don't have added oil in them. You can make your salad dressings without oil. And when you make that transition, it's a lighter flavor, um, but you discover your weight loss is easier. Your weight maintenance is, is much, much easier. Just a couple more questions here. Uh, Brian writes in, does the fat from plants affect insulin resistance differently than animal fat? Um, it's a great question. I don't know for sure about this. We have suspected, and there is some literature that suggests that the animal fat particularly the high saturated fat content, is worse uh, compared to the polyunsaturates that are in vegetable oils. However, um, don't go too far with that. Uh, you want to avoid all the animal products, but keep the vegetable oils really low too because they're still high in calories, and when you avoid them, your weight loss is going to do better. And I want to end with another clinician question. We've talked about doctors having that dialogue with their patients, but what about uh, nurses and nurse practitioners and doctors having that dialogue with other doctors. How would you recommend them opening up that conversation with their colleagues? You mean, let's say I'm a nurse and I want to be doing this at my hospital. How do I get the team on right. board? Right. Maria in particular, Justine Maria writes in in particular, she's a nurse practitioner, certified diabetes educator, highly recommends plant-based nutrition right. to her patients, but most of her colleagues do not support this way of eating. So okay. how does she start that? Uh, well, you might want to share, to get the conversation going, you might want to share some of our resources, um, including if people are really into it, uh, they can look at our published scientific papers, of right. which there are many. And if you go on Medline and look at my name, Barnard, N.D. Barnard, uh, you'll see lots and lots and lots and lots of papers that show how a vegan diet works, um, including individual studies and meta-analyses combining the results of all the prior studies. So the reason I suggest that is scientifically it's convincing. It makes your colleagues want to do it. Um, secondly, I have a uh, a TEDx talk that I did a number of years ago that has had millions of views. It's 18 minutes on how a vegan diet works for, for diabetes. And if a person looks on TEDx and puts in my name, that talk will come up. And it talks about the cell. And, and so busy doctors and, and other clinicians will, will kind of get with that. Um, and uh, at the risk of sounding self-promotional, I have a few books on this topic. And, yep. and Dr. Neil Barnard's program for reversing diabetes lays out the science in the first two dozen pages, you understand how this approach works. It's carefully scientifically um, referenced and will hopefully get people going. And I think to that point, I think it's really important for us to also realize that, hey, you didn't always grow up believing this. I mean, you grew up <laughs> in a cattle-rich family, my friend. Um, you know, And so here we are today talking about diabetes and plant-based diets. You were presented with the science and the science changed your mind. Yes. Well, I have to say we were presented with enough science that we decided we wanted to do these investigations. And so we have then done head-to-head -head randomized trials that really prove that a low-fat vegan diet is the way to go. And, and people do all kinds of other things. Sometimes they restrict carbohydrates and so forth. The danger of that is – the danger of that, Chuck – is that what is going to kill a person with diabetes is cardiovascular disease. So you want to get the cholesterol and fat, animal fat especially, out of your diet to yeah. protect your body. Yeah. And a vegan diet leads to the best weight, weight loss, the best long-term um, uh, results that people can have. And it does require a little bit of learning, but what we've found is that so many people find that it's easier than any other diet. Now, that surprises people. When, when in a research study we say, do a vegan diet, they'll think, wait, that's got to be impossible. I've got to acquire a taste for folk music. I probably have to, <laughs> probably have to wear tie-dye. You know, what am I going to do? Um, but however, what they soon discover is that compared to the, to the diabetes diets they were doing before, 
You know the ones that say count your carb grams? Ugh. Count all your calories. Uh, cut 500 calories a day off what you're eating. That gets old by Wednesday. I mean, sure. you're ready to eat the sofa. You know, so uh, instead, a vegan diet means instead of meat chili, you have the bean chili. Right. Instead of the Alfredo sauce all over your spaghetti, you have the arrabbiata sauce or the light marinara sauce or whatever. So you put these, these together and you discover you get into it. And because you're not starving yourself, um, it's sustainable. And then all the other good things happen. You, you're energetically, you, you feel better. Um, your digestion sorts itself out. Your weight loss is easy. And so people just want to stick with it. So anyway, you, you, what you said is exactly right. Everything I'm describing now is completely contrary to the biases with which I was raised. Um, but now is the time to put it to work and set aside some of the nonsense of the past. And so my hope is that the doctors of tomorrow will be able to get home from the clinic, sit down their bag, and save their family. I had three people who don't have diabetes anymore. And do it the same the next day and the next day and the next day. And let's take these figures where we've got one in three Americans who have it. Let's have one in three Americans learn about what diabetes used to be. Right. Um, we, should, we should make this history. Yeah. That's what I like to do. And, and I, I can't think of a better way to end this show. And I'm going to end with a big ask. And that is that you go to Apple Podcast or to Spotify or to Stitcher, wherever you get your favorite podcast from. Subscribe to the exam room by the Physicians Committee so you can get shows just like this. And when you do that, my big ask is that you also share them with your friends and with your family so that they can get this life-changing, potentially life-saving information, because that's really what we're putting out there week in and week out. And it's a real privilege to do the show, and it's an even bigger privilege to be sitting across the table from you today on World Diabetes Day. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Chuck. There is a reason why millions and millions of people have been downloading what you have done. It's because you put it in, in a way that people can understand, they can grab it, they can share it. They can use it and many of them are going to save their lives so thank you John how inspiring is that it doesn't have to be that way diabetes does not have to be a death sentence because the resiliency of the body when it has the proper fuel it's really second to none what you have inside of you and at your fingertips right now is far more powerful than any drug on the market. And those resources that Dr. Barnard was talking about, you can find them at pcrm.org diabetes. And we've also linked off to them in the show notes for this episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, just go ahead and scroll down and you cannot miss it. And right there on that page, by the way, are those four steps to tackling diabetes, Dr. Barnard's four steps. Click that link and then commit those steps to memory and then dive deeper into that nutrition science. Become an expert yourself and pay forward what you have learned. So we've already heard how we can prevent and reverse diabetes, but now let's hear from someone who's actually done it. Mark Ramirez is a former University of Michigan football player, an enormous man with an enormous appetite, and that enormous appetite ultimately caught up with him. Much of his family, they were in the same boat, all diabetic, and some of them were in horrific shape. He witnessed firsthand the toll that it had taken on them, and he genuinely believed that this was his destiny, this was his future, and there was nothing that he could do to prevent it. But alas, Mark discovered that it is possible to travel a different route. Diabetes does not have to be his destiny. He could be an example for his family that all hope is not lost. He could be the example that there is the power to change and improve your health exponentially. And that's exactly what Mark did. Rolling right along here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion Chuck Carroll, sitting next to an enormous man, Mark Ramirez, former University of Michigan football player and a gentleman whom I owe lunch or dinner to, so That's that right. is in the future. So Michigan beat Notre Dame, we had that little wager, <laughs> and 
and you owe me dinner. I do owe you dinner, and I, I'm scared, man. I'm glad that you're plant-based, so you're not going to order the surf and turf on me. But, uh, but yeah, man, this is. I'm, I'm just really glad to, to be able to be sitting down here next to you. I talk so often about your story on the show because it is among the most powerful that have ever been told. And so I think that with World Diabetes Day having just occurred, you are the perfect person at the perfect time to have back. Well, I'll tell you what, I appreciate you having me back on the show, and I just love everything that you continue to do, getting these podcasts out there, and PCRM as a whole, just continuing to get that message out. We see time and time again, that, you know, being Food for Life instructors, Kim and I, uh, we, we put the folks through the 21-day kickstart, we put them through our Food for Life classes, and people get better. I mean, it's, it's to the point where, you know, we almost have to act surprised when they see these results because we expect it to happen. Kim and I know that if you truly do this, you're going to see results. And, you know, we never promise anybody you're going to lose a million pounds or you're going to get off all your meds. But we do promise them you're going to feel better. You're going to feel better because you're feeling this body full of all these awesome foods that are just so beneficial and, and so helpful and helpful to the body. And I think that it helps that you've gone through that transformation yourself because at one point you were really circling the drain. Yeah, you know, when I look back to, you know, we started this plant-based journey, it'll, it's actually almost eight years to the day. It's just two weeks out and it'll be eight years that Kim and I have been 100% plant-based. But 10 years prior to that, so if we go back 18 years, uh, basically I was diagnosed with diabetes in 2002. Uh, as we slowly progress the disease uh, throughout that next decade, I'm diabetic, I have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, erectile dysfunction, psoriasis all over my scalp, heartburn very frequently, I'm obese, and I'm not sleeping very well. And I'm 43 years old, and I'm like, what is going on? And really, when I was diagnosed in 2002, that happened to be, Chuck, the same year that my mother passed. Mm. My mom passed after having diabetes for over 30 years. Uh, but she also, you know, had... Um, two heart attacks. She had a kidney transplant, diabetic over 30 years, dialysis for many years. Her eyes would bleed frequently where they'd have to go in and surgically, you know, stop the bleeding. Um, Just horrific health towards the end of her life. And when I reflect back to that, my daughter was six, my boy was three, and they only got to see grandma for a few years before she left uh, this earth. So uh, that's the that's the power of this lifestyle because I really thought after looking at that decade of me being sick and just getting worse every year, just a little bit worse, and looking at my family, you know, I just talked about my mother, but I have a little brother who's been diabetic over 30 years as well. His name is Martin, and Martin has had his right leg amputated, pancreas and kidney transplant. He's been legally blind since 2004. He's been on dialysis since 2011, takes multiple medications every single day, and unfortunately, his health is just struggling. You look at my other brothers and sisters, and not to that same extent, but they're diabetic. They have high blood pressure. They have high cholesterol, multiple medications. And every year, a lot of them are just getting a little bit worse, too. So um, my whole thing was I didn't want to end up like my mother did, you know, having this chronic illness and disease. And I'm working so hard that when I retire, when I'm older, I want to enjoy my kids. I want to enjoy my grandkids and, God willing, my great-grandkids. And I don't want to be in a nursing home stroked out somewhere or, God forbid, even worse, you know, dead and not be able to enjoy that time. So this is the power of what food has actually brought back to my, not only myself but my wife, my children. Because at this point, Chuck, everybody in my immediate family, my wife and my kids, they're all on board. Yeah. Now, initially, it was, hey, my son was like, get the hell away from me. Away. <laughs> what are you doing? Midlife crisis. always one skeptic. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, mom and dad, what's wrong with you guys? You know, midlife crisis. And at the end of the day, crisis. They, uh, they, they jumped on board. And, and it's amazing to see them transform as well. My son used to have some digestive issues. Once we cut the dairy out, guess what? No more digestive issues. He actually lost a few pounds as well. Looks nice and trim. My daughter had acne really bad. When she adopts a plant-based lifestyle, cuts out the oils, acne all clears up, and now she's back to normal. So we have all, my wife, uh, she had a mole in her upper chest area. Uh, she's lost 10 pounds, but she is, her hair's thicker, nails are stronger, more energy. So everybody's benefited. Um, and it's just amazing to see this transformation. And we know and we see the people, as they wrap their arms around this idea, they get better. And so uh, 
Before you began studying up on plant-based nutrition and with that strong hereditary component for diabetes in your family, when you were first diagnosed, did you just kind of accept that that was the road that you were going to go down and ultimately you would wind up like your mom? Yeah, great question. So uh, ever since I have memories of my mother, she was popping pills for diabetes. And of course, as the years went on, it got worse, progressively got worse. But I, as I looked at my mom, as I looked at my other siblings, brothers and sisters, everybody's diabetic. So I was basically uh, bound to the fact that I'm going to get diabetes because my whole family has it. And then also you read stuff and you hear stuff, oh, it's genetic, mm. and I'm Hispanic, so Hispanics have a higher rate of diabetes than than other uh, uh, folks. So I was not shocked. I wasn't surprised because everybody in my family is struggling with this. Uh, I was upset that I was finally diagnosed with it, but I wasn't shocked. I, I, I was actually expecting it to happen. So when it did um, you know, I just, well, here I go. I'm headed down the same path. And sure enough, if you look at that decade that I was sick, it was slowly but surely just getting worse every year. I wasn't getting better. And that's the other thing I try to share with people is there's no pill that's going to cure diabetes. There's no pill that's going to cure blood pressure, cholesterol issues. What you have to do is get to the root cause. I mean, all these medications, they simply just put a Band-Aid on top of uh, the issue, right? They force our bodies to do thing it, things it normally would not do. And so that's the Band-Aid, and unfortunately it doesn't get to the root cause of why you have high blood pressure, cholesterol, or diabetes. Yeah. So, Man, you know, it's, it's so funny. You take a step back and you, and you look at things so differently once you've reached that other side, you know, and you, and you can see it from that 10,000-foot view, and, um, and you just... Do you, do you have those moments where you wish that you could go back in time and talk to yourself and be like, hey, man... This is this is what you should be doing. Yeah, you know, I do. And um, I look back at, you know, now that I've been living this way for almost eight years, December 3rd in just a few weeks, it's it's eight years that Kim and I have been uh, living this way. I, I kick myself and wondering why it took me so long to get here. And I remember, uh, Chuck, I remember literally my wife and I would flat out have some arguments. I'm a man. Don't tell me what to eat. I can eat what I want, right? And so... You know, she's arguing with me, trying to get me to eat better, and I'm re- I'm rebelling, man. You don't. I'm a man. I know what I can eat, and I. Sure. And she sees my family, and she sees this whole uh, pattern of health destruction, right? So she's trying to do better, and I'm just. just don't tell me what to do. I'm mm-hmm. a man. Don't tell me what to eat. I want my steak. You know, this is what I grew up on. This is, you know, growing up around football, right, and having the opportunity to play at the uh, Division One level. Protein, and they associate protein with meat, and we know. And I know that the reason that I had and ultimately developed erectile dysfunction is because of the way I was eating back then in college and the way I ate for those decades that followed. Um, it, that doesn't happen overnight. Your arteries are not clogging from one day to the next. That's decades of eating the wrong foods that are causing you know, the cardiovascular disease that many people suffer with today. And so when did you first stumble upon the idea of a plant-based diet? So... My brother in 2011, the summer 2011, he had his right leg amputated, so that scared the crap out of me. You know, as I'm looking at my complication of diabetes, complication of diabetes, yep. And he'd already had a pancreas and kidney transplant. He was already blind, right? So all these things had already happened. Um, and basically, I knew at that point, I'm like, okay, my brother had his amputation. I had just received in um, September of 2011 my worst A1C that I've ever had, which was 10.5 or 10.5, almost double that of the non-diabetic. And I'm sitting down one day with my wife, and I'm feeling a little depressed, like, you know, here we go. It's my turn, right? Amputations and blindness and transplants. And so we see that as our future. And uh, I was feeling a little depressed one day, and we remembered that a couple months earlier, my in-laws had actually given us a, a documentary, Forks Over Knives. They saw it on PBS. They bought a few copies. They knew I was sick. They gave it to us. We took it. Hey, thank you. Yeah, you're worried about our health. Thank you. And it kind of just went and sat on the shelf for a few sure. months. But then that day we said, you know what? We've tried everything. I've tried counting carbs. I've tried counting calories, tried portion control, exercise more, eat less, tried all these tactics and while some of them may have helped a little, you know, lost a few pounds, you felt a little better, they were never sustainable for me. And I see that across many people. They start a diet, and before you know it, in a couple months usually, they're off the diet. Mm. It's, they're back to eating their own. So uh, 
bottom line is we, we got that documentary, we saw it, and thinking again of all the devastation that chronic illness has caused my family, we said, you know what, let's try this. We've tried everything else. We have not tried a plant-based or vegan lifestyle, so let's try that. And lo and behold, on December 3rd, we adopt this lifestyle, my wife and I. And within days, I see my glucose levels starting to drop. I see my energy levels starting to go up. I'm losing between five to seven pounds a week, and this goes on for a while. And uh, what was most important to me, or really the aha moment, was when I got my next set of lab work done uh, there. So uh, September of 2011 was when I had my highest A1C. December 3rd, we adopt this lifestyle, whole food, low-fat, plant-based lifestyle. And then on December 29th, 26 days later, I go to get my blood work checked again because we go every three months, right. diabetics. Right, right. And uh, in that short 26 days, my cholesterol drops 60 points from 164 to 104. Holy My trigliceride, triglycerides drop 81 points from 192 to 111. My HDL stays about the same. My LDL drops in half from 87 to 44. Now, I'm taking a cholesterol-lowering medication. Sure. But then most importantly and impressively to me, my A1C went from 10.5 down to 8.1, almost two and a half points. It's a big drop. In my decade of being sick, never seen anything do what those 26 days did to my lab work. What, so that, what did the doctor say? Well, initially he was surprised at such the dramatic drop. But then what happens is, you know, now keep in mind, after that decade of being sick, I'm on lantisinsulin shots, I'm on two diabetes oral meds, a high blood pressure, and a high cholesterol medications, five different medications in that decade. And so uh, that was just the first 26 days. But by the end of the second month, I was off all those medications. And in three months, I had shed 50 pounds, which got me down to 210, which eight years later today, I still weigh 210 pounds. So, and, and full I of muscle, eat, too. So clearly I, the protein is no big deal. Yeah. No, you know, <laughs> I, so many people, and we still get that today, Chuck, and you probably, yeah. do, probably do, too, is where do you get your protein, right? Yeah. And we know. I tell them, look, look at the gorilla. You know, they share the same DNA as a human being to 98.3%. They're almost human from a genetic standpoint. And guess what? They don't eat meat, and they don't drink milk except when they're young from their mother. So it was 10 years from the time you were diagnosed to when you went uh, plant-based, correct? correct. I was diabetic for a decade. And, you know, in that short amount of time after you go plant-based, you're able to reverse it and, I mean, get off all of your medications. In a matter of months. And, you know, the other thing, too, which was really cool, uh, the erectile dysfunction went away, too, <laughs> from, a, from a guy's standpoint. I mean, I talk about it because many guys don't want to. And I think many of them... They get this pill, or you know, the magic blue pill, right? That Viagra or whatever the the, the medicaid uh, the the pill is, and they think that they're healed. They think that I'm Superman now, and really, all they're doing is just like most people with the other medications are masking the bigger problem. Right. And the bigger problem, as you know, it's that you're clogging those arteries are clogging, and you know the the artery that feeds our privates is a lot smaller than the one around our heart and the ones feeding our brain. Mm -hmm. So they're masking that stroke and the heart attack that are coming around the corner. It's going to take a little longer because those arteries are bigger, but it's on its way. Yeah, it's funny that erectile dysfunction is, I believe, one of the earliest signs that you're at a higher risk for a stroke. Yeah. Um, you know, that's I don't think the majority of guys know that, you know, it's, it's just mind blowing to me. But here's the thing that also I think that we should touch on is like you come from and you, you hit on this earlier a little bit, too. It's like, I'm a man. Don't tell me what to eat. You come from kind of a macho background. You're a football player, you know. And so here you are now talking about that, talking about eating a plant based diet, which I'm sure a lot of people still today. There's a weight room not more than 200 yards from where we are. Guys who are in there. Pumping, you know, will probably say that you're soft if you eat a plant-based diet, but nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah, we are seeing more and more professional athletes actually who see when they adopt a plant-based lifestyle, they see less inflammation, quicker recovery, I mean, better health overall. So it is now, it is no longer a secret. There's a new documentary called Game Changers, which mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of, and that's what they talk about. It's full of chalked with a bunch of athletes who are now with a plant-based lifestyle, taking their performance to the next level. So so now you get an opportunity uh, to work with other people in the community who are struggling with their health. And, you know, uh, the goal is to have them achieve that same remarkable turnaround that you experienced. I would imagine that that has to be the most rewarding, fulfilling 
job you've ever had. It is it is phenomenal. That feeling, that sensation you get when someone tells you, hey, thank you for saving my life. S- similar to what I tell Dr. Barnard every time I see him, because his book is what set me down this path, right? Understanding why I have type 2 diabetes and what I could do to potentially to potentially reverse it or at a minimum dramatically improve it. So this is why when I see him, I'm like, man, Dr. Barnard, you saved my life, right? And not only mine, but my my family. I mean, the, the whole trajectory that my family is now on from a health perspective is way different than where it was eight years ago. And it's for all of us, not just for me, my wife, my children. So, uh, yeah, bottom line is you football, oh, you know. <laughs> if you told me, you know, hey, eat vegetarian and eat sushi and eat... Tofu, I'm like, what? What are you talking about? I would give you a tree hugging, you know. You know exactly. This is, this is where yeah. people's mind goes right away. And I would just tell you that once, when you when you stop and just peel that onion back and you take a look at these foods and what they do and how, how awesome and all the benefits that this amazing machine, our bodies, uh, get when we eat these foods, compared to the animal foods, right, that are inflammatory and cholesterol and the saturated fat and the TMAO and IGF-1 and all the problematic components that come wrapped around the animal foods, it it, it just uh, helps you understand that we don't need to be uh, eating meat or eggs or chicken for protein. You're going to get everything you need, just like the gorilla's getting his and the elephant and the giraffe and the rhinoceros and the bull. Mm-hmm. And the ironic thing too, Chuck, is I... When I tell that to people, and I also tell them, look, we see this big piece of steak, and you see all this protein, you say, hey, I'm protein, I'm going to get a lot of protein. What, and I, t- I ask them, well, what does a cow eat? Cow's not eating grass-fed beef, <laughs> organic beef, right? God, I hope not. They're eating corn, and they're eating soy, and they're, they're eating plants, they're eating whole foods. And so we then eat the steak and get the secondhand protein. But the bottom line is we don't need to we don't need to do that because again all the animal products come wrapped around some just some very problematic uh, components that are not good for this amazing human body that each one of us own. So, let me ask you the final question um, here: Is that I get emails from listeners from time to time who you know their friend, their family member, their significant other, they do have that macho attitude and they're so dug in their their way of thinking and I'm a man, don't tell me what to eat. What advice do you have to really having a uh, productive dialogue, getting that conversation going and helping them say, hey, I don't have to be macho. Like, how can we start that dialogue with them? Yeah, so one of the things, uh, you know, a lot of people equate sex being macho and, and uh, you know, you think about, think about not being able to have sex. This is what I ask them. You want to be macho man, but you can't perform like I couldn't perform when I had erectile dysfunction. You think that, I tell them, if you want to be a real man, you're going to take care of your family. You're going to take care of your wife, your kids, your significant others, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I would try to get them to understand uh, that you don't need to cause all that animal suffering. You can actually even help the planet as well. But Bottom line is your body is going to thrive when you're eating a whole food, plant-based lifestyle and not the animal foods. And, and I try to point them to all these athletes who are already showing um, you know, progress there where the, many of the Tennessee Titans and mm-hmm. the, the Williams sisters in tennis. And But, yeah, the bottom line is there's so many athletes that are now doing this. And, and I try to lead by example too, right? I mean, I try – I eat a ton of food. Anybody who spends any amount of time with me, I eat a lot of food, but it's always whole food, plant-based. Uh, yes, I eat some pastas and some processed foods, but it's always vegan, no animal foods, and my body thrives. Here at 52, I feel like I'm in the best shape of my life. So I try to lead by example. If they're asking me, then I'm going to say, well, what do you think when you see me, right? I haven't had any animal products in eight years, and I'm – thriving. I look the best in my mind. I look the best that I have ever. Even when I was at Michigan, I was a big dude. Yeah, I was stronger, but I was working out a lot more uh, because I had to work out a lot more to perform at that level. But today, I want to be smaller. I want to be bigger. I want to be smaller. I want to be lean. I want to be mean. And uh, I think eating this way just really uh, helps me continue to stay that way. 
Well, man, you're not that small. I mean, you certainly tower over me. <laughs> uh, you, your biceps, I mean, those are what, a good, no, what, 14, 16 inches? No, you got some guns like on 10 you, man. Inches. <laughs> <laughs> 10 inches. Uh, so you are in the, the Detroit area, correct? Yep, we're in the Detroit area. If people want to take your classes, where can they find you? So they can find us. Our website is chickpeaandbean.com. I'm Mexican. I'm bean. Chickpea is a chick, so that's my wife. So uh-huh. we're chickpea and bean, and that's how the name came about. But we do food for life classes there in the metro. Detroit area. We host all kinds of meetings and uh, yeah, they can find us there and online as well. So chickpeanbean.com. You ever thought about maybe reaching out to uh, your old school and, you know, getting some of the old ball players on board? You know, we have. I have actually helped many of my former teammates uh, reverse diabetes, ED, cholesterol issues, lose a lot of weight. So we were in that process. And when I go to the reunions, I see them. And I, of course, I love all my former teammates and, and, and I, I know when I see, not all of them, but many of them you see, and they're overweight. They're, they're not looking like they're in the best shape. So I try to help them, and we have been successful in helping many of them so far. So any of those, uh, any of my Michigan brothers that want help, uh, I'm there for them. All right, there you go. I think that that's another story that needs to be told on the show, my friend. Yep. So another time. But yes, Mark sir. Ramirez, thank you so very much, thank my you. friend. Thank you. Thanks for all you do too, Chuck. great to catch up with him in Arizona recently. Something tells me, though, Mark, you haven't heard the last of that man. I think that he's going to be back on the show sometime in the not-too-distant future. But before that happens, we need your help to give someone else a healthier future as well. Right now, please subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your favorite shows from. And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating because those ratings help improve our rankings. And the higher we climb in those rankings, the more people will see and find this life-saving information. Diabetes and prediabetes strikes one out of every three people in the U.S., and we need your help to reverse that trend. And just by subscribing and leaving that five-star rating, that goes a long way toward helping make that a reality. And if you ever have any questions that you'd like for us to answer on the show, please don't ever hesitate to reach out. We'd love to hear from you guys. We're on Twitter at Chuck Carroll, WLC, and at PCRM. You can also shoot us a message on Instagram, again, at Chuck Carroll, WLC, and the Physicians Committee, at Physicians Committee, spelled out a little bit differently, but find us there on Instagram as well. Send us your message, send us your show ideas, and hopefully we can make something happen for you in the near future. But that's going to do it for us this week. What an uplifting show, right? Genes do not have to be our destiny. My thanks again to Dr. Neil Barnard and Mark Ramirez for joining us today. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, keep it plant-based.